Becky Heinsberger was raised thinking the right to abortion was a good thing. My mother was very outspoken, a supporter of abortion. I grew up in that atmosphere that abortion was perfectly okay and shouldn't be stigmatized. And she started adulthood this way. She grew up despising Christianity. She lived in a yoga ashram for six months. She called herself a feminist. She moved to Alaska by herself, built a cabin, and led meditation sessions. But at some point, her views on abortion changed dramatically. And Becky ended up devoting a lot of her life in Alaska to the anti-abortion rights cause. I consider it the murder of a human being in every circumstance, no exceptions, because of course the baby is innocent, no matter how it was conceived. And so it should never, the baby should never have to sacrifice its life. I believe that biologically life begins at conception. How did you come to have these views? Uh, Well, Probably during the abortion that I had while it was happening. You're listening to Private Right from the Alaska Beacon, a show about abortion in Alaska, a conservative state with a strong right to choose. I'm Lisa Fu. In this series, you'll hear Alaskans talk about abortion and its impact on the state and their lives. The stories and voices throughout the series represent different, nuanced perspectives on both sides of the issue. This is Episode 3, The Alaska Rescue Project. As soon as I entered the room and they put me on the table, put my feet in the stirrups, etc., I just, I began to shake. Becky had an abortion in March 1978 at Alaska Regional Hospital. Becky said the cause of the shaking was spiritual. It wasn't because I feared pain or something. It was like I suddenly became aware that this was a very traumatic thing, that a life was being removed from my body. And I didn't really consider it a human life before that point. But it was like all of a sudden I instinctually knew that it was a human life. Even though I hadn't seen scripture, nobody told me that. Prior to that moment, Becky did not think abortion was killing a life. The two people that were assisting stood on either side of me and said, just take a deep breath and exhale all that strain and everything. But it didn't do any good. I just knew this was a tragedy that was happening and I wished I could reverse it, but it was too late. Becky was taken into the recovery room. And the recovery room was a circular room. And all the women were sitting on big uh, Kotex pads on an inclined bed and were all facing each other. And I was the only one that wasn't crying. Everybody in that room was crying. And I tried to be brave, you know, and encourage the other women and console them. Her husband picked her up. And I was pretty upset with him because I never would have agreed to go through something like that had it not been for him insisting. But I knew he wouldn't understand, so I just rode home in silence, kind of fuming 
that he was the reason I had just gone through that experience. Becky had a lot of guilt and shame about the abortion and regret. She also felt anger toward her husband, which would take a couple of years to work through with the help of a support group. Her husband had insisted she get one, though he eventually came to agree with her. And she said the other people she encountered beforehand, the staff at the health clinic and the hospital, supported her getting an abortion. No one had talked to her about the other choice. And Becky's done everything in her power to make sure no one else has the same regret she does. After it happened, Becky told her mom about the abortion. And she told me the story of how I was a very unwelcome pregnancy and had an abortion been legal, I probably would have been aborted. So I found out that I barely made it under the wire (laughs) into this world. (laughs) It was a bit shocking for Becky to hear this. She didn't mean that in a mean way. She was just being frank that, um, you know, it was not a time in life that they were ready to have another child. And uh, I slipped through the cracks and she became pregnant. My dad was furious. And finally he piped down and by the time I was born, they were reconciled that they were having a daughter and um, pretty happy about it. Becky grew up in Northern California in the mid-1950s and 60s in what she calls a fairly liberal family. Her parents had artists and politicians over at the house for dinners and parties. She lived in Paris for a year with her mom when she was in high school. Becky's liberal family was not a warm and loving one. She was born about 10 years after her siblings. So I was almost like an only child in some ways. And my parents were very busy with uh, business and travel. And so I was with a nanny a lot growing up. And uh, I traveled sometimes with them. But uh, I wouldn't say we were a really close family. Not the kind of thing where a child runs and jumps in the lap of their parent and feels all huggy and safe. I would never dream of doing that with one of my parents. She said her mom was an outspoken supporter of abortion rights. She donated money to Planned Parenthood and women's shelters and even helped build a shelter. My mother was kind of a rescuer. You know, somebody needed help and she considered that kind of help could be getting an abortion or a woman that was being battered that needed a refuge. So there wasn't any line drawn between You know, this is moral and this is immoral. And abortion was just as moral as anything else. And there were stories within her own family. Well, my grandfather was married to a woman before he married my grandmother. And his first wife died from a self-inflicted abortion at his insistence. He was the one that said, you must abort this child. And she died trying to do it. When Becky was 13, her dad died in a plane crash. He was flying his own plane. And Becky was sent to boarding school near San Francisco. She said she was determined not to be the kind of parents she had. She lived with an innate sense of unworthiness into adulthood. I did deal with feelings of 
um, rejection and devaluation growing up, but it started in the womb. And I believe children in the womb can experience the emotions and the feelings and everything of their parents. She found healing for that in Alaska, in church, after becoming a Christian. Becky first came to Alaska in 1973, when she was 19. She had gone through one year of college at University of California, Santa Cruz, and wanted to go north. Before her dad died, he had come to the state for a hunting trip and returned home with pictures, and that planted the seed. I had an international scout, and I loaded it up with elk foods, enough to last a summer, and drove up here. Well, I got on the ferry at Prince Rupert and went through southeast Alaska and got off at every town and camped. And then I came to Haines, and I thought, well, I want to go to Kantishna. So I drove from Haines to Kantishna, which is, you know, through the park. The other side is Denali Park. And I was painting. The whole idea was I wanted to paint Alaska and have an art show when I got back to California. But she broke down in Valdez. And ended up staying in a cabin in Kenny Lake out by Chitna that first winter. And my mother was not happy that I had not come back to resume college. But that's how I ended up here. A couple years later, she bought two and a half acres in the Kenai Peninsula from people she met when she followed a sign for goat milk, and she built a cabin. At the time, Becky was not a religious person. So everything about Christianity looked like it was full of death and darkness and devils and blood and misery. So <laughs> it's the only thing to do with Christianity. <laughs> But she ended up befriending a couple, and the husband was a Baptist pastor. She started reading the Bible and eventually realized that, as she says, God is real. I knew I had left my old life behind, and I had started a new life. That happened in 1977. She got married in January 1978 and had her abortion that March. Then, as the years passed, Becky's family grew. She would eventually have five children. The anti-abortion rights movement was also growing, and Becky became involved in anti-abortion rights work. She tried to convince her mom that abortion was wrong and sent her a video called Eclipse of Reason that had an introduction by Charlton Heston. The film you're about to see is graphic. Some of you may find it too graphic. There's blood and death. But Becky said her mom called the video fake and contrived. And so that was the best I could do to con communicate to her that, uh, you know, children exist in the womb. They're not just non-beings. I mean, she went through four pregnancies. She should know. They also fought over evolution. Becky told her she didn't believe it anymore. I believe the evidence is in favor of creation. That was about it for her. She just threw her hands in the air and said, well, you're really not my daughter anymore. Yeah. So that was kind of the last straw for her. That's how angry and resistant she was to everything I had come 
too and come to believe. Her mom may not have agreed with her, but Becky had a community of people in Alaska who did. To get a sense of the anti-abortion movement Becky was joining, it helps to talk to other people who were part of it. And a few would become as well-known in Alaska as Bob Bird of Nikiski, who Becky met in the early 1980s. Bob was inspired to become active in the movement by Ronald Reagan. And we thought, naively of course, that the election of Ronald Reagan would uh, end Roe versus Wade in uh, less than 10 years after it was instituted. That didn't happen, of course. It took close to 50 years before Roe was overturned. Still, Reagan was the push that Bob needed to carry an anti-abortion rights sign in the local 4th of July parade for the first time. Bob was living in Kenai at the time and was a hockey coach. He said he was pretty nervous about it. I was well known as a hockey coach, and to do something like that on my off time, well, not not everyone was going to like it, but I went ahead anyway. And as time went by, I um, became more and more involved with the pro-life movement. And he became more confident. He wrote letters to the editor, began picketing regularly outside clinics that provided abortions, He and others would be on the sidewalk holding signs, letting traffic and the public know abortions were being done there. They had leaflets handy, hoping people would take them. I did this work also in Anchorage. And uh, at one point, just trying out what we call sidewalk counseling, we would stay on the sidewalk where people would park and we'd say, if you'd like some information on abortion, we've got it. The picketing and other anti-abortion activities going on were happening at clinics around the country by people who, like Bob, were inspired by Reagan's election. Bob says he's always been anti-abortion. He grew up Catholic. There's no question the unborn child is human from the moment of conception. 1989 was a particularly intense year for anti-abortion activities. Bob was part of organizing a series of sit-ins in Alaska meant to prevent people from entering clinics that, among other services, provided abortions, like the Alaska Women's Health Services in Anchorage. He had gone to these types of events in the lower 48 to see how they were done. We called it the Alaska Rescue Project. Every person they convinced or prevented from getting an abortion was a rescue. We were blocking abortion clinic doors. We were having a sit-in. And that way, anybody coming in to look for an abortion can't do it. We had every door blocked. Bob said people brought guitars, and there was a lot of singing, Catholic hymns, evangelical hymns. If somebody tries to get into the clinic by walking through, a large phalanx of people, uh, the idea was to simply put your head down and bring up your knees and be totally submissive. Don't grapple with anybody. If they step on you, they step on you. And uh, in almost all cases though, in fact, I'm sure in every case, uh, after taking a step or two to try to unlock the doors, the uh, first person on hand uh, who was an employee would retreat and wait for the police to open things up. Bob said they communicated with the police ahead of time. We had headsets and walkie-talkies, and uh, and the police came. They understood what we were doing. And uh, when they 
when they said, look, you have to leave right now. We'll start making arrests. They started making arrests. Bob had warned participants of this. You might be manhandled. You're certainly going to be misrepresented by the media. And uh, you're going to be fingerprinted. You will be arrested. We'll probably go to trial. And if, uh, but you've got to be absolutely convinced, A, that this can save somebody's life, and B, that you're going to remain uh, in self-control and uh, be prayerful and submissive. During the first sit-in at Alaska Women's Health on February 13, 1989, the police arrested about 90 people for trespassing on clinic property, a misdemeanor that carried a maximum one-year jail term. A newspaper article at the time reported that the police agreed to cite and release trespassers as long as the protesters gave their names, promised to appear in court, and agreed not to return to the clinic when they were released. Bob said he was arrested five times total, three times in the lower 48 and twice in Alaska. In one arrest, he was sentenced to 30 days with 29 suspended and spent one day in jail at Wildwood Correctional Complex. To Bob, getting arrested was worth it. What's one human life worth? Let alone, you know, who knows what benefits would follow as a result of this if there were more than one human life. And so uh, pro-lifers understand there's more than this life on Earth. There were five Alaska Rescue Project events that winter and spring. He says the sit-ins worked. The goal is to save a baby. That's the goal. Bob says five rescues came from the Alaska Rescue Project. Becky was there as well. She recalls one of the events. So eventually, after about three or four hours, the bus shows up and they police processed us into the bus. We were arrested and taken down to the police station and then let go, but we all had court dates. Well, we did it again. Pretty much a repeat of the same thing happened. In total, she said she was arrested three times, one time when she didn't want to be because she had a small baby. And so I was nursing her and I didn't want to get arrested because I didn't want to be put in jail or something where I couldn't nurse her. She stayed on the sidewalk instead of in front of the clinic door. The group gathered at the door had been cordoned off with security tape. But Bob asked Becky to distract a police officer while another woman joined the group blocking the entrance. So Becky walked over to the police officer and asked him questions about saving lives and his conscience. While I had him engaged in that... He saw this 70-year-old woman run across the parking lot, duck under the orange tape, and join the group. And he looked at me, and he looked at her, and he looked back at me and said, Uh-huh, I see what you were doing. <laughs> and he got angry, and he grabbed me by the wrist and swung me around and flapped the handcuffs on. <clears throat> Nobody had ever been handcuffed before. The police put Becky on the bus with the others who had been arrested, and she saw Bob standing on the sidewalk outside. He was beating his chest with his fist and looking at me with so much regret. And he was saying through the bus window, I'm so sorry, Becky, I didn't mean for this to happen to you. <laughs> and uh, then we got whisked off and processed again at the police station and got our court dates. Well, finally, when we went to court, um, 
most of us were acquitted or got community service. Becky got community service, and she did it at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, which suited her just fine. The Alaska Rescue Project, the organized sit-ins, the blockades of clinics, were part of Operation Rescue, an anti-abortion movement that started in the mid-1980s and was going on around the country. In 1994, the federal Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, also known as the FACE Act, changed everything for abortion protesters. It made physically obstructing the entrance to a clinic a federal crime. The same with the sit-in that would interfere with clinic workers or women seeking abortions or other reproductive health services. Becky never stopped protesting in the part of the state near Kasilov, where she lives and runs a bed and breakfast. For years, on and off, she stood, oftentimes alone, on the sidewalk outside of Dr. Michael Merrick's practice in Kenai. Michael died November 2nd of this year, and his obituary said he was the sole abortion provider on the Kenai Peninsula for more than 30 years. It also said he proudly helped start Planned Parenthood in the area. Becky remembers what she and Bob did before the Planned Parenthood opened in Soldatna. When they held the fundraising dinners at a local restaurant to start the Planned Parenthood here. And we'd be out there with a group with that little baby casket out there. (laughs) Red roses on it, white satin and a baby doll inside the casket kind of propped up so that anybody driving into the parking lot for the fundraising dinners would see it. Becky has led 40 Days for Life on the sidewalk outside the Planned Parenthood. 40 Days for Life is a coordinated 40-day campaign to end abortion locally. But Becky said she was out there all the time. She didn't limit it to 40 days. She would stand holding pre-printed signs that say, pray to end abortion, singing but not interfering, she said. I began to uh, strategize ways to reach the clients, and so I made gift bags at some teenagers to help me put them together. Inside, the gift bags had anti-abortion information. There was also a list of various community agencies and resources, like shelters, clothing, food, teen mother counseling. Just help for anybody that might be, you know, feeling alone and approaching Planned Parenthood for answers. It also had things like hand sanitizer, candy bars, flashlights. So I called it a gift bag and I wrapped it up with bows and I offered it to anybody going in. I turned around and said, I have a gift for you. And more often than not, they'd walk over to me and collect it. And what happened after that is anybody's guess. The Planned Parenthood in Soldatna, which didn't provide abortions, closed this past May. Becky continues to be active in the anti-abortion movement and is on the Alaska Right to Life board. This winter, she plans to go door-to-door to educate neighborhoods and communities about a clinic in Kenai called ABC Life Choices. The faith-based nonprofit offers free pregnancy tests, some ultrasounds, STI testing and treatment, and information about pregnancy, the clinic will not provide abortion referrals. It offers classes and education focusing on prenatal, childbirth, parenting, life skills, and sexual health. There's a care closet with items like diapers, wipes, baby clothes, and winter gear. 
For things that ABC can't provide, like housing, staff will connect clients to other resources and services in the community. ABC is funded through private donations. I have found that probably less than half of the people I talk to even know it exists. And they're right on a frontage road with a big lighted sign and everything, but most people don't even know they're there. Some of the same services are provided at about nine pregnancy resource centers around Alaska. Becky plans to knock on doors and talk to people. If no one answers, she'll leave a door hanger. She wants to start with the neighborhood in Soldatna, near the hospital and library, where a lot of families live. She thinks she'll visit about 500 houses by spring. For Becky, it's about education. It's about hearing the things no one told her before she got an abortion. So I try to communicate, hey, you don't have to choose this. This is your other opportunity here. And here's why it's a better choice. They said you will never outlive the regret of your abortion. Have you spoken to women who have outlived the regret or or who don't have regret? I've seen, you know, on the television, (laughs) I've seen um, people that stand up and say, I'm proud of my abortion. Yay, yay, yay. Nobody's going to talk me out of it. But I really, truly believe those women are coming from a place of um, denial, you know, covering up their true emotions by trying to justify it. Like, you know, I have support. I I believe in myself and my own destiny and you know I did the right thing for myself and nobody's going to put guilt on me. But it's it's a defense and a denial that there really is a lot of pain behind that. All those years of standing outside clinics that provide abortions, waving signs, handing out gift bags, Becky is wanting to prevent a younger version of herself for making the mistakes she made. Becky wants to make sure they know about the other choice. So I'm trying to put the truth out there. They may still decide to get an abortion, but I want the woman going in there to know what she's doing and not be blindsided. This episode was written, reported, and produced by me, Lisa Fu. It was edited by Andrew Kitchenman and engineered by Dave Waldron. You're listening to Private Right from the Alaska Beacon.